Let the stories and teachings of today's top Christian leaders inspire and move you to releasing God's best for your life. With your host, best-selling author and certified Christian life coach, Jay Marsh. Welcome to Your Blessed Life. Hey, Jay Marsh here. It's great to be with you today. I want to welcome you to Your Blessed Life, and I want to get right into today's episode. I have a featured guest. I'm looking forward to getting to know more myself and to share with you, Blessed Nation. So, Blessed Nation, I want to introduce to you Mr. Clint Grisham. Clint, welcome to the show. Hey, man. How are you? It's great to be here. Yeah, brother. It's good to have you on the show. And we were just talking. It's extra fun to know that you're just right up I-35 in the Dallas area. So uh, not only are you there now, but you're a Texas boy through and through, right? That's right, man. I grew up in Corpus and uh, spent many a year driving to San Antonio and going to Fiesta, Texas and all across that area. So uh, my wife and I, we were in Seattle for six years when I was with the Seahawks. And once the Seahawks released me, we decided to move back to Texas, back to God's country where all of our family is and uh, have settled in quite nicely here. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I've been here all my life, um, visited around, but I don't know if I can envision um, being in another place. So I get why you came back. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking, you mentioned your wife. So your wife, um, I know, because uh, we spoke about it earlier, Maddie. And uh, so it's your wife and uh, your puppy dog, Bear, and you guys are... So you're in the Dallas area. I know Dallas is big. Are y'all like in Dallas proper? Or are you in an area around Dallas? Uh, we are about 15 minutes north of downtown. Okay. Uh, neighborhood called Preston Hollow. Okay, cool. My wife is from the Dallas area, Dana. She is, I guess it's kind of south, maybe south central, tad to the east. Okay. Called Midlothian. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, in fact, we were just there um, not too long ago visiting some some of her friends, and it's always good to go back and, and kick around in the Dallas area. Yeah, there's a lot to do here. There is. Yeah, we love it. Well, that's awesome. Well, I want to get to know a little bit more about you, kind of a little bit about what you did and then transition a little bit to what you do. You know, you had just mentioned a while ago that you had spent some time in Seattle. So were you with the Seahawks for, was it six years? Yes. I spent six years with the Seattle Seahawks and that was six years longer than I anticipated. (laughs) And, uh, man, got to be a part of some really, really incredible, incredible years there. Got to be in a couple of Super Bowl games and a bunch of playoff games, but more than anything, just got to be a part of uh, an organization that really taught me a lot about um, this idea of how do you build a fantastic culture, a place where people want to be and in a league like the NFL, I mean, it is as intense as it can be, and it can wear you down. And uh, my time with the Seahawks, it was it was challenging, but I really look back on those times uh, and have a whole lot of fond memories just because of the type of culture that Pete Carroll was able to create. Wow. I tell you, um, so interesting, so intriguing for me. Um, I realize not everyone is a is a uh, football fan, but I is one. <laughs> I I is <laughs> you kind of have to be oh, in Texas. I am a, a very big football fan, and um, so I can only imagine what that experience must have been like. And I, I like how you just kind of glossed over the fact that you were in two Super Bowls and that you won a Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, that... Yeah, 50% in Super Bowls. That's amazing. What an amazing experience (laughs) that must have been. Yep, it was. uh, Very surreal. It's still one of those things that I look back on and don't quite believe. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, how life brings these different seasons to us. And then we, we make the best of those seasons, the best that we know how. And, um... What, what intrigues me also 
is that how your life and the season for Clinton has changed. So now that football is not on the front burner, tell us what you're doing. What, what, is, what is Clinton Grisham doing with his time these days? Yeah. Um, I mean, my time in football, I always viewed as an opportunity to leverage a platform that people hold in high regard and introduce them to a greater reason to live. And uh, throughout my time of playing with the Seattle Seahawks, I was a very active Young Life leader. And uh, Young Life is a huge part of my story. It's actually where my wife and I met. And so all throughout my time with the Seahawks, I was um, highly involved with ministry. Um, we would have Young Life Club at my house, and we would have probably about 100 kids a week coming through there. And so my time playing football always was, how can I leverage this to um, sort of parlay on the backs of what society worships and introduce them to the real God? And so ministry has always been a huge part of my heart, part of what I'm doing. And so it was a pretty easy transition um, once I was done playing football that I just sort of kept doing ministry type stuff. So uh, I recently wrote a book, came out about a month ago, and travel all over the world promoting that and speaking and also do a lot of stuff in the secular space uh, as far as um, like creating culture and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm just absolutely loving the season of life that my wife and I are in now, and I feel like uh, it's a dream to be able to get to do the things that my wife and I are doing now. Oh, I'm smiling, and I'd give you yeah, a high man. five if we were in the same room, brother. I, that's that's Air exciting. High five. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, that is. So we're going to talk a little bit about your book toward the end, but just just so we can be forthcoming. Tell us, tell us about when that book came out and tell us the title of your book. Uh, the book is called Becoming, Loving the Process to Wholeness. And um, the reason that I chose the word becoming is because that word is an adjective and it's a verb. We are all becoming something, but to be becoming is also another word for beautiful. So it kind of looks at this idea of what does it look like to like who you are when you haven't quite become the person that you feel like you're supposed to be or you feel that society expects you to be or the person that you feel like God expects you to be. What does it look like to have compassion on yourself throughout that process and actually love the process of God's refinement? And it's, uh, it's a story of helping people identify um, what I call the false fathers of the things that we look to for significance and identity and helps them put their life on something that is solid and essentially makes us grittier, makes us more resilient and helps us realize that the tough times in life are God growing us in ways that we actually really need. And, and it actually, um, it also takes into consideration a lot of the coaching philosophy of Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks and this idea of focusing on the process and how that actually mirrors what scripture teaches for the believer. And as I would sit in front of Pete Carroll and listen to him talk for hundreds and hundreds of meetings, I was always fascinated about this idea that, man, you know, he's, he's not a believer, but he is taking these principles and they're working for him. And so how can we help believers um, maximize their walk with God and their impact with the world around them? Wow, what a what an honor that must have been to have yourself surrounded by so much talent and wisdom. And even like you said, even if if on occasion they weren't believers in Christ, those principles are true all the same. Yeah. Oh man. I know people who want nothing to do with Jesus who are better at following the teachings of Jesus than I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And when when we are obedient and do what God says to do and uh, and do all of that, man, life seems to work better for us. You know, something, a, a lot of what you just said really just resonated with me, but something in particular just jumped out at me. And that was when you said to love the process of God's refinement. And, the, and that, alongside the title of your book, Becoming, jumped out at me so much. And it did the first time I ever heard about your book, coming out, which was not long ago, very shortly. 
and I reached out and I shared this with you. Uh, when I was pastoring, I was in the middle of a sermon series, and the title of the series was called Becoming More. And it was my favorite series because it was a coming out for me. It was a coming out, a refinement. I like your choice of words. I, I, that could have been my subtitle, The Process <laughs> yeah. of God's Refinement, because it was that reminder that I have, praise God, this card. I'm a card-carrying member of the body of Christ. I've received Jesus, and I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. And not but, and there's more. There's this awesome life. There's this abundant life that, that Christ wants us to live out in him, through him while we're here. And, and sometimes we kind of miss that part. And so, and I suspect that that really has a lot of connection for your book as well, because that, what you just said with love, the process of God's refinement is, uh, is right on. Yeah. On earth as it is in heaven, you know, we're going to be in heaven one day. And that's going to be fantastic. And how much of heaven can we experience today by leaning in on the things that God tells us to do and trusting that um, the tough times in life are God growing us in ways that we really need. And to be molded into the image of his son means I'm making the conscious decision to not run from my pain because it's only through pain do I get grown in ways that I really need. And so, you know, in James, when it says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Like I know for myself, like when I'm going through a trial and going through a tough time, I am not super pumped about that. I'm not looking around, high five and all my friends thinking, praise God, I'm going through a trial. But the reality is, is that God allows in his wisdom what he could prevent in his power because he knows what's on the other side of the trials and the tough times in our life if we could have his eyes for those moments. Yeah, I tell you what, we could just go ahead and wrap it up right now <laughs> because that <laughs> that is really something that will help us and will guide us and will sustain us and will prop us up when times are tough. And I know that's easier said than done, but it is, it's yeah. got to be our mantra because it will support us. And you know, and that's the, 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 fr the structure, the framework of this show is to not just talk about all the glorious times. I want to keep my eyes on those times and I want to remember all that God has done, but I want to, I want to share that God wants to use those times of difficulty, those shortcomings, because that's when he steps in and he does his best work because you know what? Our hands are off. And he's like, right. all right, well, now that yeah, you got your amen. hands off of it, let me get to work. Well, let me show you, let me show you what I can do. And you know something that's that you good. said, Clint, actually you, you wrote it and it really resonated with me. And, and it was really in line with what you just talked about, about having God do his work when we're having a tough time. And, and, um, it's not always when you're on the top of the mountain, praising God, giving high fives when it's all hunky-dory. But when you guys lost the second Super Bowl and you're sitting in your hotel room and you are in a funk and you were yeah. trying to wrap your mind around how you get out of this and how you deal with it and where do I go from here? But as that time went by and as you reflected back on that time in your hotel room, that experience was the birthing ground of you growing and becoming something more. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's our, it's our brain's job to identify threats and keep us alive and find the shortest, shortest path to, uh, to the rewards that our brains are seeking. And, oftentimes our genetic hardwiring of trying to keep us alive makes us run from our pain because pain is painful and we're trying to avoid that stuff. And we actually need to have a new relationship with pain and recognize that unless you hold that pain, whatever it is, a little bit closer to you and make the conscious decision of I'm not going to run from this, 
you will be the same person for the rest of your life. And it's the reason that that you see so many people who are much older and are, are walking in a noticeable uh, amount of immaturity because the second that we start to run from our pain is the second that we stop growing. And that's usually when we get addicted to something, whether it be some type of substance or busyness or food or all the things that we use to medicate and soothe our pain. And there's this one story of um, when, when we lost the Super Bowl against, uh, against the New England Patriots and we walk into the locker room afterwards and Coach Carroll says a couple of words to the team and then he looks at me and says, okay, Gresh, go ahead and pray for us. Oh, brother, what an honor. And I'm thinking like... That's awesome. A fantastic honor um, and a ton of pressure because... <laughs> Like I had done all of the pregame and postgame prayers for years, and Coach Carroll asked me to do that uh, for years. And but when he said that, I'm thinking like, man, what on earth could I possibly say that's going to make this moment not feel horrible? You know, like, and I, I'm grasping, trying to say something that's going to make everybody feel like, oh, you know what? It didn't hurt so bad. <laughs> And what I realized is that even in that distorted thinking pattern, I, I was trying to rescue people from feeling pain. And what I'm, what I'm discovering, Jay, is that it's actually okay to let people feel that. And that we actually just need to be able to sit in that and not run from it. Because if we, if we start to run, then we're going to lose our opportunity to, uh, to grow. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That's that's the other half of the experience of life, I think. And I think that is where, well, we talked about this briefly. That's where God does his best work because we're not, we're not as much in the way. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I can no imagine doubt. that kind of, that kind of pressure. So I w- I'm curious kind of how that went. So you said that prayer you've got on your heart. How do I put these guys at ease? How do I say something which comes across effective, but that doesn't, um, you know, cross any lines because I'm sure you've got a diverse group of guys in that room. So how did that prayer play out and how did you feel about it afterwards? Oh man, I don't even know if I believed in God at that point, (laughs) man, you know, like it was such a raw moment and a lot of emotions going on in the two weeks that um, had led up to Super Bowl 49 were some of the most stressful, intense days of my life. I mean, it was so, so debilitatingly uh, full of anxiety and stress of feeling like, man, all of the world is watching this. And and it was hard. It was really hard, man. And so um, I think that in that moment... Um, I did the best I could. I went back to what I knew and spoke of God's greatness, spoke of God's kindness, that God was going to somehow work this out for our good. And I think I was like a lot of guys in the room of, man, I'm saying that in faith. I'm saying that in faith because it's hard for me to even understand that uh, when I'm struggling with this loss uh, as well. And so um, I think that that talking with guys afterwards um, and allowing guys to see my own struggles and allowing guys to see my own feelings of doubt and sadness and not feeling like I had the perfect um, polished answer actually gave guys permission to to be able to not feel ashamed about their own doubts. And I think especially in the Christian world, we can learn to kind of put on these masks and learn to look the part and we can really deny a lot of the stuff that we're feeling in our heart. And we actually need to be a little bit more okay with being vulnerable and being authentic with what's going on inside of us because God is not intimidated by our feelings of inadequacy or doubts or fears. And, um, you know, even in the midst of, you know, Jesus's disciples abandoning him, you know, he's still calling those guys into ministry. 
And so when I quit trying to look like I had the answer for a lot of the guys that I was playing with, uh, that created a much deeper place of intimacy and trust um, with a lot of the guys that I had been, you know, trying to pursue for the Lord. And it just created a such greater place of, of healing and growth when we choose to let down our walls a little bit and let people see the real versions of who we are instead of giving people the political answer of, yes, but, you know, the word says that God works all of this out for our good, <laughs> you know, and while that is true, uh, we, people can use that to shame people um, instead of letting people process their own grief and dissatisfaction in their own timing. Um, so I think authenticity was a major, major part of um, my last couple of years in, in the NFL and how to effectively reach guys for Christ. Man, I have so many, so many thoughts going through my mind about the mental picture that you created for me as... I kind of walked down that that road with you on that prayer time. And there's an interesting parallel. So there you are, you know, at the highest pinnacle of, of your career, one of them. And you're in a room with a bunch of super talented guys. And you guys are in a tough spot. You're not where you thought you'd be. And they're looking to you for something well, special. And I'm going to put that over here to the side. You take a pastor, you take a preacher, stands up at the pulpit, and he's in front of his, his community, his, his tribe, his congregation. Or maybe it's a small Bible study. But you're leading that prayer, and, and they're looking to you to have that, that special, miraculous word for them. And then you're just an average guy, you, me, and having a prayer with your, by yourself, with your wife, with your buddy, whomever. And the recipe for an effective prayer is kind of like what you said, regardless of where you stand and who you are and what the situation is, you're speaking of God's goodness. You're speaking of his greatness, even when you're not a hundred percent sure because your mind is is doubting itself, but you do it in faith anyway. Right. Yeah. And our minds will always supply evidence of, you know, the, the things that we believe in, they usually align themselves with our deepest insecurities and our deepest fears. And it's in those moments of, of not having the answer of, our minds warring against us and doubting that we do need to go back to what the word says and uh, allow that process to work itself out in us. And, you know, it, it takes time and it takes patience. And, and I think more than anything, it takes the humility to admit that sometimes we do struggle and sometimes we do have doubts. You know, as, as we were, as you were sharing that story with us, that really, nicely fit in just it wasn't really by design it's just kind of the way our conversation was going but it nicely lined itself up for a struggle of faith um and it's interesting to me of how that positions itself in our life to set us up for that next season in our life or the next opportunity because oftentimes those difficult uh, circumstances, they are the birthing grounds of opportunities. They are the birthing grounds of breakthrough, of a renewed hope. So I want to ask you, I want to kind of change gears with you a little bit. And if it's related to this story, great. If it's a standalone story, that's great too. So we, we see this story of struggle. You had some awesome successes, but I like that we got to talk about a difficult time and, and kind of working through it. Tell us about a time in your life, Clint, where you got to see kind of the other side of that, where you had, I don't know, a story of victory, a story of breakthrough, where you got to see some hope show up in your life, and it just pointed you right back to God. 
Yeah, when I was um, my senior year, I was at Texas Christian University, and I was the only long snapper invited to the NFL scouting combine. And I thought that because I was the only guy invited, I was going to be drafted. And I really wanted to be drafted because if you don't get drafted, you go into free agency, which basically means that if there are 10 teams who are interested in you and you pick one of those teams and you pick incorrectly and that team fires you, then those other nine teams have all moved on and you, you've basically missed your opportunity. And so I wanted to be drafted to save myself from uh, you know the risk of failure. And so I go to the combine. I have a great experience there. And um, the whole time I was there, the team that was most interested in me was the Houston Texans. And when I was in high school, uh, I told all my friends growing up in Corpus Christi that one day I'm going to go play for the Texans. Like that was my dream to play for the Houston Texans. My high school mascot was the Texan because <laughs> in Texas we're narcissistic like that. <laughs> and uh, But man, that was my dream. And so every single week, after the combine, the Texan special teams coach was calling me up and checking in on me and really kind of pursuing me. And um, I kind of played it out in my mind that, uh, okay, like, you know, delight yourself on the Lord and God gives you what you want, right? And Jesus, I prayed. So that means that you're going to, you know, that I'm going to be the first long snapper to be drafted in the first round by the Houston Texans. And <laughs> And so, um, but I remember once the draft came around, um, they had told me that they were thinking about drafting me in the fifth round. And um, that historically was, was when snappers had been drafted. So I remember I'm watching TV, I'm there with my family, and this guy comes up on screen and he says, the best pick available is Clint Gresham, long snapper from Texas Christian University. And I see this picture of myself pop up and... It's just kind of this wild, surreal experience as I'm watching all this stuff unfold. And at the ticker at the bottom of the screen, it said that the Houston Texans were on the clock. And right when that happened, my phone started to ring and I looked down at it and it's a Houston area code. And so I freak out because <laughs> I think that this is my moment. So I pick up the phone as eagerly as possible and it's this gruff, grizzly old special teams coach on the other line and, and He's like, hey, we just wanted to let you know that we're not going to be drafting you, you know, in this just very gruff voice. And I hear him say that and I'm kind of like, oh, man, you know, you could have just not called me. <laughs> that would have perfectly communicated right. to me that you weren't going to be drafting me. Like, thanks for getting my hopes up, you jerk. <laughs> and so unnecessary. So the fifth round ends, the sixth round ends, the seventh round ends, and I don't get drafted. And uh, I go into free agency, and now I have to discern where am I supposed to go, Lord? And so um, I remember I got on the phone with a mentor of mine, and he's actually the, the man that I dedicated my book to. And um, I get on the phone with him, and we're kind of praying through where am I supposed to go. Like the last thing I want to do is lean on my own understanding and go to the place that I think makes sense in the natural and and not actually trust where the Holy Spirit's leading me. And so as we're praying, I, I ended up fielding calls from five different teams, the Texans, the Saints, the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. Those were the five teams that wanted me to sign as a free agent. And everything in the natural pointed to going to Houston. Um, they were, they said, even though we didn't draft you, we want to give you the equivalent of a seventh round signing bonus. We want you to be our long snapper. We're not bringing anybody else in. You're the guy that we want. And so I had assurance. I had a guarantee. It was my dream. I, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I told all my friends that one day I'm going to go play for the Texans. And so it seemed to make all the sense in the world. And as I was on the phone with my mentor. We were, were praying, and I had this statement pop into my mind. Um, and the statement was, who's the only team in the nation whose name points to me? And I thought about it for a minute, and I thought, the Saints. And, you know, <laughs> I realize that's kind of a, a convenient, funny play on words, but 
God has done much weirder stuff in the Bible <laughs> that worked out for the people who were obedient to do what he said to do. And so the more we prayed about it, the more I felt like, man, I feel like I'm supposed to go to New Orleans, even though that doesn't make any sense. They were hardly giving me any money. They had just won the Super Bowl, which means they're not trying to change the formula a whole lot. And the snapper that was there, he I think he was 38 years old at the time. I mean, he was one of the best in the world at what he did. And so it made no sense in the natural. And so um, that that phone call of being on the phone with my mentor, uh, I felt like he gave me permission to trust God, even though it made no sense in the natural and everybody around me thought I was crazy. And so I call up my agent, I call up the coach for the Texans, I call up my family and I let them know, um, I feel like. I feel like God's leading me to go to New Orleans and I didn't get, (laughs) everybody thought I was nuts. Um, absolutely. Yeah, they, and it was, you know, and looking back, I mean, um, it, it was crazy. It made no sense. And so I go to New Orleans and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I've never felt more alone. I've never felt more isolated, more out on the fringe. Like I didn't belong. And I've never felt closer to Jesus because it forced me into a deep relationship with God where I had to spend time with God every single day or else I was going to get blown apart. And I remember I I would go to work in the morning and I'd come back at about 11 a.m. And I would spend the rest of the day just reading scripture or worship songs or listening to teachings or journaling and just for the rest of the day. And it forged something in me. It was my wilderness season. And I'm convinced that anybody who wants to do anything for God, you're going to have to endure some type of wilderness season. And, um, three months into that time, I got a knock on my door and it's a scout for the saints. And he says, Sean Payton wants to talk to you who's the head coach of the saints. I walk downstairs and I have no idea what's about to happen. I'm walking into the grim reaper's office and he lets me know that, Hey, we've just signed our first round pick and we don't have any room on our roster. Thanks so much. Good luck. And I'm just thinking like, man, I, I ruined my life and I got a seven hour drive home to think about how I stepped out on this obscure word from God that made no sense. Everybody thought I was crazy. I sacrificed my dream. I sacrificed a guarantee. Uh, and where are you now, Lord? You know, and I'm thinking like, man, I can go back to parking cars. I worked valet when I was in college. I can make 10 bucks an hour doing that until I figure out what's next. And 24 hours later, once I get back to Fort Worth, Um, I get a call from the Seahawks and they say, Clint, we have claimed your contract. We have a flight for you tonight (laughs) in first class for practice tomorrow morning. Can you be there? And I'm like, well, you know, I got this car parking thing going on. (laughs) It's like, man, I got a $5 tip the other day. (laughs) And man, I end up flying to Seattle and being a part of that team, there was another long snapper who was there. He ended up getting cut a couple days later. And then that year, we ended up being the only team in NFL history to win our division with a losing record, which is like <laughs> the favor of God. It's never been done before. Oh, And wow. the team that we beat in the first <laughs> round of the playoffs was the defending Super Bowl champions, the New Orleans Saints, the team that cut me. And so it's almost like this vengeance is mine, says the Lord, you know? And, you know, I think about where my life has gone since then. Uh, man, I, I met some of my best friends in the world. I met the love of my life in Seattle. And I trace pretty much all of where my life is today to being back on the phone with a mentor who essentially gave me the courage to trust a really ridiculous word from God that didn't make any sense. And because I had somebody who was speaking into my life, I trusted that and I allowed myself to be put into a process, a time of refinement, which those three months in New Orleans were, 
where God grew things in me that I really needed if I was going to be able to be used by God with anything in the future. And, um, man, I, even though it was challenging, I wouldn't trade that season of life for anything, which always seems to be a, a reoccurring thing for people when they look back on the tough times in their life that, man, I really wouldn't trade anything for that. Yeah. That's when the magic happens. Yeah. Not in the moment necessarily. So you think, but once you get through it enough where you can stop, you can look back, you can see that that was a time of refinement. Like you said, you shake your head in aha. And it's like those glimpse, you know, that there's a verse in first Corinthians that talks about how, you know, our life is like looking through this mirror. It's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of foggy. We can't quite completely make it out. But you know, if we couldn't, how much faith, how much trust would we place in God if we had all the answers? Mm-hmm. No doubt. That's right. That's, a, that's an amazing story. Um, and it, it makes me reflect back on my seasons of being in the wilderness and how that preparation is for something bigger, something greater, something that I might not even be able to put my finger on yet. So when I think about you going through that, Clint, I think about the people that are listening to this episode and the stuff that they're going through. You may not be able to see what's on the other side, but God can. That's right. And you know something that you said, too, that just... If you are leaning on to Jesus... If you were leaning into Jesus like your life depends on it, get ready because there's some exciting stuff about to happen. Amen. Amen. That's right. I'm seeing it in your story, Clint. I see it in the the couples that I coach. I see it in my own story. I've seen it from the pulpit. It's the way God works. That's right. It's trusting God's character in the middle of a storm. And do we have the discipline to trust his character, that he is who he says he is? And we are going to have something that we otherwise wouldn't have had if we choose to endure till the end. You know, when you're going through that storm, you know, this up and down, this roller coaster ride that you kind of shared with us here, and you're putting your trust and your ultimate hope in God's hands, and you're saying, to yourself and to him, Lord, you're my secure confidence. You're my hope for that brighter tomorrow. What type of promise from God that is in Scripture is something that you've leaned on that has helped you get from the wilderness, get through that time of refinement, as you clung on to Jesus like your life depended on it? What, what kind of a promise comes to mind for you? Um... One of the first significant portions of scripture that I ever memorized was uh, the first chapter of Joshua, and specifically in Joshua 1 8, where it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And my time of being in the wilderness when I was in New Orleans was that where, man, I was with the Lord and I was speaking the word and I was speaking his promises over my life. And I was thanking God that even though my situation looks and feels like this, I trust that this is who you are. I trust that this is what you're doing in my life. And man, I was speaking the word out of my mouth out loud all the time and quoting that scripture and that was something that I held on to. And that was a, a lot that is, is still a life verse for me, just the principle behind that. And, um, man, our mouths are powerful. And, you know, and uh, Solomon said that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so all day long we are speaking life or we're speaking death. And um, the more that we can take the word of God and fill our hearts with it, the more it's going to come out of our mouth and the more we're going to see the power of God happening in our world around us because we're choosing to use our mouths as a thermostat instead of a thermometer. 
instead of being reactionary to the things that we're seeing, uh, we're taking the power of the word of God and speaking the word of God over our situations and over our life and seeing the power of God happen because of that. I'm jotting that down because it, it so perfectly lines itself up, Clint, that whole notion of what are you speaking to move you through your wilderness? Because it is either blessing you or it's cursing you. And we, I think, in our, in our mind would like to say that there's a middle ground, there's this gray area that we can kind of hang out in, but there's not. It's either you, you is or you isn't. Either you are being mm-hmm. blessed by the words that are coming out of your mouth, by the thoughts that are being That's created right. in your mind. You're taking those thoughts captive and you are speaking them. And that is either being a blessing over you or a cursing over you. You know, you kind of alluded to this a while ago, talked about how our minds will go to that place that we speak looking for that solution. And, and our words give that life. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And it's a conscious decision that we have to make and we have to fill our hearts with the word of God. And I really if, think it kind of comes full circle uh, to one of the first things we start chatting about in, in our life. You know, I always look for something that connects my heart when I'm visiting with a guest and even in my pre-visit when I'm getting to learn about them in my own quiet time when I'm exploring who Clint Grisham is. And the thing that jumped out to me was how your kind of personal mantra is that you're looking, you're looking for the good. You're looking for, even in bad times, what is good? What is admirable? It's that training ground that you had mentioned. And, and I think about that verse in Philippians 4.8 that talks about how we are to, what well, we're called to focus on what is good. We're called to focus on what is true, what is admirable. And uh, when we do that, that's right. we are likely to get what we focus on. Amen. Man, that is, that's good stuff. You know, it's exciting to, that's right. to hear that's right. someone's walk in Christ, just like that you shared with us from a different perspective. Um, it gives us a comfort to know Regardless of what our perspective is, God's ways are true. God's hand is steady and his blessings are real. His uniqueness is real and his ability to step in our life and make a way when there seems to be no way is still alive and well. Praise God for that. You know, blessed nation, God knows what's on your heart. He knows what you're going through. And he's here That's to stand right. with you. And he wants you to know that you can stand on his promises. And Blessed Nation, I hope you're enjoying this chat with, with Clint so far. And if you subscribe to the show, awesome. If you don't, I want to invite you to do so. There's a purple subscribe button either on the website or on iTunes, wherever you're at. And that way, the next time we have a guest come on, you can be ready to subscribe to the show. And if you haven't, if you haven't given us a review yet, I'd love to hear your feedback. I mean, I hope it's good, but I still want to know your feedback. I want to know how this show is impacting you. I want to know if it's blessing you. And you can write a review, a rating review on iTunes just by going to the podcast app and typing in your blessed life in the search bar and look for the rate and review and tell me what you think and say hello. I'd love to give you a shout back and, uh, and say hey back to you. So, Clint, as we kind of come to this final segment, this final piece of the show, this is kind of a fun part um, because we're going to talk more about some wisdom aspects, but with just kind of some short, punchy wisdom from Clint. So, you ready for this? Okay, cool. And, you know, I, I do this, Clint, because it's fun and because I'm a, I love the book of Proverbs. It's just practical stuff that I can get behind I am. and live out my life. And so that's kind of where I take this from. It gives us points to look at how you might implement certain things in your life and use that as a, as a jumping off point for ourselves. So here's the first question for you. Can you share with us something in your life, big or small, 
that's on your heart right now that you're just grateful for and you're praising God for? Yeah, something that I'm grateful for is just that um, the process of writing the book for me, more than anything, it just helps solidify this message in me. And this is something that like God's been working on in my life for a long, long time of reframing our pain and seeing it as something that is a gift. And uh, I tell people all the time, if nobody likes the book more than anything, it helped me grieve the death of my own identity that I had placed in football. And what I had found is that there's actually a lot of people who are hearing their voice in it. But more than anything, it helped me process that. And so identity and, and pain, those two things are very, um, a very big part of my story right now. That's good. I think folks can relate to that. I really do. I know I can. Well, along that same line, would you share with us one way that you like to be a blessing to others? Um, my wife and I, we, uh, we were highly involved with Young Life, and Young Life is still something that is a big part of our lives, and I, I speak all over the country at different Young Life banquets, but um, something that specifically we've done is that uh, we decided that we were going to give a copy of my book to every Young Life leader in the state of Washington, and so... That has been because Young Life gave us so much and really um, was a huge part of our story. We just wanted to sew back into that ministry. And um, and so that's something that's been close to our heart. And, and in addition to that is being involved with Young Life here in the Dallas area. We're starting to get plugged in doing that as well. Ooh, I like that. I like that. You know, we've been talking a lot about refinement and walking through the pain, pushing through the pain, seasons of wilderness. So for you, for Clint, what is something, one thing, what's one thing, maybe the top thing that you do on a regular basis that encourages you in Christ? It furthers your walk and it strengthens your walk in Christ. Um, I mean, in addition to reading scripture, um, I think that that's obviously that that's, that's, that should be an unsaid, you know, <laughs> that's something that we need to be doing every single day. Like I eat food every day, uh, to nourish my body. And I, I read the word every day to nourish my spirit. I think that practically, um, one thing that I have been, uh, in this pursuit of is finding something, uh, or looking for an opportunity to be brave in some capacity, uh, whether that is starting a conversation with somebody that I feel inadequate around, uh, you know, for some people it could be asking somebody out on a date. I mean, whatever it is, um, but just choosing to find a small opportunity for bravery every single day, um, because bravery is a muscle and it's something that can be grown and it's something that is a really easy way for us to grow our sense of self-esteem and uh, understanding um, that that God was a very brave individual. And if we want to be like him, uh, we need to choose to walk like him. Uh, and so if you can find an opportunity every single day to be brave, that is one of the healthiest things that I've seen in my life as far as being more and more like Jesus. Yeah, well, I think that definitely will take us out of our comfort zone when we're when we're looking for a way to be brave, and it will align us up with the better a better version of ourselves because we're not living in a place of complacency. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like that. That's that is. Uh, I think very challenging. Um, I think when we live like that, it forces us to be super conscious of everything that's going around us because we're looking for that opportunity. For sure. Yep. You know, I, I like to ask my guest about a book, but I want to use this opportunity to kind of kind of turn back in and talk a little bit about your book. Um, and in particular, I know we haven't done a deep dive per se on your book, but if folks were interested in learning more about your book, Becoming, um, 
where can they find out about it? And where can they find out about you? Where can they connect with Clint? Yeah, um, my website is clintgresham.com. And uh, our store there has has our book. It's got our workbook that goes along with the book that's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's also got um, some biblically-based affirmations to train our self-talk that I created. And so that's a 52 deck of cards where one side is an affirmation and the other side is the scripture that supports that truth. And I go through those every single day just as a practical way to get the word of God to shape my emotional health. And they're awesome for kids if you're trying to help solidify the principles of the word of God. Um, Sometimes the word of God can be intimidating. And so that resource that I created is a really practical way to uh, get the truth of the word. Um, so yeah, clintgresham.com has got all my information about speaking and, uh, and all of the resources that we have and have got a blog up there as well. Cool. That sounds good. That, that, uh, deck of card idea sounds very intriguing. It's a little bit different, which adds some spice to it, makes it exciting. Um, and it sounds cool. That sounds fun. I look forward to checking that out myself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, man, I sure have enjoyed our time together. I appreciate you taking the time to to share so openly with us about your your struggles, about your victories, and about your walk in Christ. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, man. It was great to be with you for a little bit. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to have you. In Blessed Nation, I hope and I pray that, that our time with Clint has been a blessing to you. Um. And you know how to connect with Clint. And, you know, maybe there's an opportunity. I'm going to put him on the spot here. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to come back again and maybe talk about some principles to help us move, more specifically, principles to move us through the wilderness season, those times of refinement, and to come back and talk about this notion of the relationship with pain. Because I suspect that that's what we're going to find in your book. Yeah. Yep. And when I started to walk out that stuff in my life, I found myself getting to where I wanted to be much faster (laughs) and actually enjoying the ride a little bit more. Cool. Well, that sounds like some stuff that would be right in line with what we what we talk about and what we look to incorporate into our lives on this platform here at Your Blessed Life, Your Blessed Life. So Blessed Nation, listen, it was an honor to get to to spend this time with you to be your host to uh, be your guide and to coach you down this episode of Your Blessed Life. I hope you enjoyed it, and um, I hope you'd stop by and leave us a, a stellar review. And, you know, I want to I want to invite you to tune in to that next episode. But before you do, I want you to know that we appreciate you tuning in with us today. And until that next time, remember that you've been given a spirit of, of power, that God has given you a spirit of, of love and of sound mind that you are made in his image and you are precious to him that he truly does love you and he wants to bless you